Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Scrum Dynamics episode 12 and Dermot Ryan's back. So if you're like me and you can't wait to hear the sound of his voice, we'll just get it started. Let's go. Uplytics Biologic is a market-leading certified for Microsoft Dynamics 365 geo-analytical mapping app. Maplytics empowers users with powerful map visualization and writing capabilities within Dynamics CRM to drive better sales, improve business processes, and engage the right customers at the right time. Maplytics now works with Dynamics 365 version 9 and Dynamics 365 app for mobile and tablet. Analogic is a leading Microsoft Gold Dynamics CRM ISV, delivering best-in-class Dynamics 365 solutions, as well as cost-effective and high-quality programming services. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 12 of Scrum Dynamics. Our mission is to help you succeed in applying the Scrum framework to your Dynamics 365 projects. I'm joined once again by my infamous co-host, Dermot Ryan. Welcome back, Dermot. Where have you been? Thanks, Neil. It's good to be back. And I was over in Spain for a few weeks. Um, I had some family visit me over there. And it was great, great to have some time off. Uh, but now I'm back to reality, back with a bang. I only got back a couple of days ago, um, suffering from jet lag still. You might hear it in my voice. But um, good to be back in cooler Sydney. It's pretty hot over in Europe at the moment. I was sitting 48 degrees last weekend. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's good to be back. Were you sitting on the beach, sipping pina coladas, reading lots of uh, scrum books? Um, sitting on the beach part, not quite reading all the scrum books. <laughs> I did check into some blogs once in a while, but not too much. Uh, the one euro beers went down very well. Ah, good. Well, listen, while you've been away, I've been pretty busy. I'm uh, launching a new project with two Dynamics 365 scrum teams. That kicks off in a couple of weeks here in Brisbane. Looking forward to that. And I snuck in another little uh, scrum certification with scrum.org while you were away as well. Oh, brilliant. Which one did you get? Uh, just PSM2. PSM2? Oh, brilliant. Fantastic. Congrats, Neil. Thank you very much. So going for PSM3 and then get my uh, certified trainer exam as well. Right. So you've got the roadmap all planned out. Yeah. Just got to find some free time. That's all right. <laughs> okay. So I thought, I thought in this uh, episode today, we'd cover the sprint backlog. I know that whenever you and I work together, uh, you were a master at helping the team shape the sprint backlog. So I thought it'd be really useful to unpack that. And for the benefit of our Dynamics listeners out there, talk really about what the Sprint Backlog is and and how we can best use it in our Scrum projects. Great. Yeah. Well, it's probably a good idea to revisit um, what the Product Backlog is first. Yeah, good idea. Before we get on to the Sprint Backlog. So I think we covered that in a previous podcast. But just to refresh everyone's memory, uh, the Product Backlog is an ordered list of everything that we know we need in a product. So think of it as a single source of all the requirements and changes that we need to do. The product owner is responsible for the product backlog, including its content, availability, and ordering. So typically in the projects I work on, we use user stories to represent our product backlog. And it's a big, long list of user stories that is ordered by business value. And the product owner is responsible for that. Now, what is the sprint backlog? Well, the sprint backlog can be thought of as a subset of the product backlog. So if um, if you think of it, if we're running two-week sprints, then we need to take uh, product backlog items off the product backlog and bring them into a sprint backlog that we want to complete in the next two weeks. Really, the sprint backlog is a set of product backlog items, i.e. user stories, that are selected for the upcoming sprint, and plus a plan on how we're going to deliver the product increment and realize the sprint goal within the next couple of weeks or however long the sprint is. The sprint backlog is a forecast by the development team 
about what functionality will be in the next uh, done increment and the work that we need to do to deliver that done increment. So that's really at a very high level what the sprint backlog is. All right. That really helps me understand the differences between the product backlog and, and the sprint backlog. I've uh, I've got some some great questions for you about the sprint backlog. We'll dive into those in a second. Sure. Sounds great, Neil. So before we get to that, Neil, I've got one for you um, because I know now that you're a PSM2 and Scrum Guru that I know you are. Can the sprint backlog change? So I just introduced there that the product owner is responsible for the product backlog, but who's responsible for the sprint backlog and who can change it? Uh, great question. I, I My opinion on this has changed over the last couple of years. If you had asked me this question, certainly in the middle of the American Homes for Rent project that I was working on for two years, that was uh, three or four years ago, I used to say that at the time we create the sprint backlog, the development team is making a commitment to the product owner to deliver that work. And the product owner is committing to the development team not to change the sprint backlog. My stance mm-hmm. has softened quite a bit since then. And instead of making hard commitments, what I'm now telling my teams, coaching my teams is, this is the, the sprint backlog represents our forecast of the work we're going to complete in the sprint. And the product owner is committing to the sprint goal and not changing the goal for the sprint. But in fact, the sprint backlog, yes, it can change. It probably will change. And we need it to change in certain circumstances. We don't want it to always change every every moment of every day. But certainly, as we learn about the work, as we deliver the, the, uh, the dynamic system, yeah, stuff's going to come up and we're going to find out that certain stories can't be met in the sprint or certain stuff is easier and we can bring new stories into the sprint. And in both those scenarios, the sprint backlog has changed. Mm. I think you hit the nail on the head with the product owner committing to not change the sprint goal. What I've seen in some projects, Neil, is that the product owner decides midway through the sprint, oh, I'm going to change the sprint backlog and change the goal while I'm at it, which is a disaster. Um, To what you alluded to there, as long as the sprint goal is consistent, then there shouldn't be a problem. Although I am a bit more cautious than you, I think I don't like the sprint backlog to change too much. I like, um, especially when you have a shorter sprint of one week or two weeks, it can be very messy and really uh, upset the flow. Yeah. But if we keep the business value in mind, like you said, and keep the goal in mind, then it's not. it shouldn't be too difficult to make some tweaks here and there. Um, you also asked who maintains it. Well, the development team maintains the sprint backlog. So the ownership changes during sprint planning. The product owner owns a product backlog. The transfer of ownership is then to the dev team and they own the sprint backlog, uh, in my mind anyway. Uh, There's then Mm -hmm. a bit of contention when we want the sprint backlog to change depends on who that request comes from, right? If it's if it's the dev team, well, they own the sprint backlog, it's kind of up to them. But if it's the product owner who wants to maybe swap out a story, something has changed, they've heard some feedback, and they need to drop a, a story from the sprint backlog and maybe replace it for a new one, they kind of need the dev team's permission to do that. What do you think about that? No, I agree. Um, that's buy-in from everybody. Um, the pro- I've been on projects where the product owner uh, very willy-nilly has just come in and gone, right, everything's changed. I'm dumping these three stories. And now I want to add these new stories to replace them. Without buy-in and negotiation with the dev team, that should not be allowed to happen. Um, as you've pointed out, the sprint backlog is owned by the dev team. Um, so that really is a negotiation piece if the product owner wants to make changes. Most Scrum Masters I've worked with would stick to the mantra that 
yes, something can drop out of the spent backlog, but nothing new should come into the spent backlog. I'm not as strict on that. I'm I'm happy sometimes to replace like for like, so long as we're maintaining the spent goal. But I've seen some product owners give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Yeah. And they'll really want to come in and insist, no, this is the way things are happening. And this is where you need a strong scrum master because sometimes the dev team are not strong enough to stand up to the product owner. And that's where the product owner imposes their will. So you'll need a good scrum master to protect the dev team in that instance. What would you think, Neil? Um, you mentioned like for like. So you're suggesting if you did negotiate and agree to a change that if you dropped a five-point user story from your sprint backlog, you could replace it with another one of similar size or maybe a two-point and a three-point um, story as well. Is that what you mean by like for like? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't let a team drop a five-point story and then add another uh, 13 points, which is, you know, that's not like for like. But also, if you're dropping a five-point story and you're bringing in a three and a two-pointer, the sum of the three and two-pointer may not be five points because there's complexity. That's two separate stories instead of one story. Yeah, true. So you really don't just look at the points. You also got to look at the complexity. So again, this is where the Scrum Master needs to coach the team to know the actual effort of doing multiple stories. And if you're changing one story and bringing in two or three stories to replace it, even though the points might be the same, the extra complexity might add a lot more time. So you really got to, if you are going to do a change, it's got to be like for like. So one final thought on changing the sprint backlog. What if you, the team has done more work than it forecast? We're getting to, let's say it's a, it's a, a two week sprint. We're in day six or seven and there's 10 business days. We're pretty confident we're going to get all the work done. Some of the dev team are beginning to you know, look ahead into the, the product backlog and they can see a small story that they think they can do in this sprint. Is it okay to grab a story or two um, out of the product backlog, drag it into this sprint, sprint backlog and start to work on it? What I'm getting at is there's a small risk that you might try and do that with a user story and not get the dynamic solution developed in time and then have to mm. put that thing back on the product backlog and it gets a bit messy. Do you encourage your teams to bring new work into the sprint backlog if they're ahead of forecast? Well, well, first off, if you're ahead of forecast, that means that you've achieved your sprint goals, I would imagine, which is great. It's mm -hmm. a good place to be. But it also means that you probably need to improve your estimates for the next sprint. So that's something that should come up at the retrospective. Back to your question with, okay, we finished, if I'm hearing your question correctly, Neil, it's a scenario where we finished all our work. We've still got maybe two days left in sprint. Can we go to the product backlog and pick up another one or two stories to try and get finished in the next two days? The short answer is yes, but a very cautious yes in that that also has to be negotiated with the product owner. Because oh, yeah. if, the, if the dev team just go to the backlog and take the top item, the product owner may not want you to do that this sprint. They might have a reason, a business reason why they don't want it done now. They might want it done next sprint or the sprint afterwards. So you really need to speak to the product owner and say, hey, we've got capacity to do an extra five or eight points in the next two days. Which stories would you like us to consider in the next two days to do that? So it is a negotiation piece. And also I, I caution teams not to take on, say, a five-pointer, maybe take on a couple of one-pointers or a two-pointer, because at this end stage of the sprint, you should really only start any story that you can finish. You don't want to be taking on a five-pointer and get maybe two to three points worth of effort done, and then it goes back onto the product backlog. Really, in a yeah. sprint, you should only start what you can finish. So the short answer to your question is, yes, you can do it, but there are criteria and conditions and negotiation take place first. 
Uh, what would you think of that, Neil? Yeah, so the alternatives to taking on more work, new stories would be uh, to start doing some refactoring and pay down some technical debt on some of the existing product increment, or to start doing some backlog refinement and start to look mm-hmm. ahead at some of the, the stories that are still in the product backlog that maybe need some acceptance criteria and some refinement to improve the quality of those for future sprints. Actually, we had that example just today on the project I'm on, Neil. Um, today was the last day of sprint. So like, one of the team members uh, at the stand-up was saying, I have nothing more to do and there was no more stories for him to do. So the team agreed that he would go look through the backlog and start refining stories. So you yeah, you can use it to, if you have that spare time, you don't necessarily have to take on more work you, uh, off the product backlog. You can do refactoring, like you said, or more refinement. So coming back to the contents of the sprint backlog, who... Um, we, t- we talked about the kind of the development team selects it, but is it always the, the top ten highest priority user stories, or let's say the top fifty points worth of <laughs> user stories that they have to take? Do they, do they get to pick and choose from the product backlog which stories they're going to do, and or does the product owner really just say, "Hey, look, there's the top priority. That's that's what you've got to do." <laughs> so we're getting into sprint planning, which is where the sprint backlog gets built up. Um, yeah. And yes, I have seen in sprint planning product owners going in and saying, these are the next 10 stories I want you to work on. Go do them. Preferably, the product owner will present what they would like to achieve in the ne- in this sprint in the next couple of weeks. They may outline some high-level goals and some epics and a list of the ordered list on the product backlog of the user stories that they would like the dev team to consider for the sprint. So it is a collaboration piece. It isn't the product owner telling the dev team what to do. It's um, a negotiation and a, and a consideration piece. So if, for example, the product owner has... 10 user stories I want considered for the next two weeks in the sprint. The dev team will go through those 10 user stories and see what they can and cannot achieve. If there are user stories that have not met the definition of ready, that haven't been properly refined, then the dev team are within their rights to push back and say, we can't accept that in this sprint because that story is not in a good place. We do not think we can achieve it. And if there are stories that the dev team, if there's external dependencies, that they think they cannot achieve that in the next two weeks. Again, the dev team can push back. Uh, so it is a bit, a bit of negotiation. It's a team effort. So it's not just the product owner telling the dev team. It's a negotiation piece between all the parties coming together and going, what can we realistically achieve in the next sprint based on business value, which mm. is set by product owner. Okay. So it's, it's, again, it's that sense of negotiation between the development team and the product owner and, and the Scrum Master is going to help facilitate that. Correct. Um, you mentioned their definition of, of ready. You know, Scrum's always had a very strong definition of done, mm-hmm. but definition of ready is a it's hinted at in the Scrum guide. How have you used that in your Dynamics projects, and what kind of criteria have you used, um, particularly for Microsoft Dynamics user stories, to say yes, that's ready for development? Mm. So the definition of ready is uh, typically we use this in the refinement sessions. So again, to remind our listeners what a refinement session is, this is where the dev team come together and they go through the product backlog items with the product owner and they will see, they'll refine the story to uncover what needs to be done to turn this into a done increment. So each story needs to meet certain criteria to make sure it meets what we call a definition already. Something like that might be all external dependencies have been removed. So by that, are we waiting on a user account from the IT department? If we are, then we must have that before we can proceed with this uh, user story. Does the user story have acceptance criteria? Does the user story 
Uh, do we fully understand what needs to be done? Does the dev team understand what needs to be done? So there's lots of different criteria we can add. This is up to the dev team to define the definition already to what, how they see fit. But once we have a definition already, then every user story in a refinement session has to meet that definition already before we'd accept it into a sprint. I'm struggling to think of an example that we used in the Dynamics project, Neil. Maybe you can help me out in this one. Yeah, like those are, those are pretty good ones. We definitely saw lots of challenges by starting work on stories where there was a dependency. And um, it would always trip us up. We'd have blocked stories all the time in our sprint backlog. And it was um, it just dragged us down. It was horrible to have to put those things back on the product backlog at the end because we hadn't been able to make much progress on them. So, yeah, having good acceptance criteria, having the environments there, um, understanding the, the business rules associated mm -hmm. with the user story. Those are pretty generic things, nothing specific to dynamics that I can think mm -hmm. of. I've seen some customers go overboard with the definition of ready and they, they were, the user story has to be signed off by the subject matter expert in the business right. and there has to be a technical specification. There has to be a wireframe and like, oh, it's beginning to sound a lot like a requirement yes. specification. <laughs> so trying to get well, away One that does that. spring to mind Neil, with um, uh, Dynamics that I've seen was we had a user story that needed a click dimensions resource and our click dimensions resource happened to be way on leave. Did that user story meet the definition of ready? Well, it did when we refined it because we had a click dimensions resource, but now coming into the sprint, we no longer had that click dimensions resource, so we could not accept that story into sprint. So that's an example of uh, definition already. In one, uh, one of the criteria could be that we have the skill set within the team to complete the story. We don't want to go outside the team to pull in somebody else who has that skill set. The team has to be able to do it. Well, I'm not going to sit here and plug click dimensions all night, but surely everybody in your Scrum team should be click dimensions certified, Dermot. Absolutely, Neil. But we need to release that budget that you uh, Our estimate keep the purse strings on. Yeah. <laughs> <Get> people educated. <laughs> so, Neil, I have a question for you here. Uh, who estimates the sprint backlog? So, there's a couple of aspects to it, Dermot. You mentioned the refinement sessions. And during sprint planning, we're doing our estimating. So all of the high priority, high value user stories in our backlog should be estimated already. That would certainly be one of my definition of ready. It's got an estimate. I wouldn't mm -hmm. take an unestimated story into the sprint backlog. What we've then got to do as a team is forecast how much work we can do within our two-week sprint. A couple of tools that we use to do that. A classic tool is velocity. So velocity is a measure of uh, how much value we're creating in every every sprint. We normally track that in story points per sprint. That's your unit of, of estimation. So you look back over the last few sprints, maybe the last three or four sprints, find your average velocity. Let's say it's 50 story points per sprint. That's your baseline. You say, probably do 50 story points in this sprint, unless anything has changed. What's changed? Well, Boutros has come back from holiday. He's our click dimensions resource who was not there last time. <laughs> so we might say, okay, well, uh, Boutros has been away the last sprint, so we'll estimate, uh, we'll forecast up a little bit and we'll forecast we can take on 55 story points in this upcoming sprint. So we make adjustments like that. Oh, but there's a public holiday. So the entire team is away for a day. So we'll adjust for that as well. Um, so we look at those kinds of capacity issues and it's really about people taking leave that, that's a, the main uh, drag on capacity and we adjust our predicted velocity on that basis have you got any more scientific way of doing it than that Dermot? no but i think that's a good way uh, i know a lot of scrum masters who just like to 
to estimate the team's capacity by going on, well, last sprint we delivered 50 points. So this sprint, let's just try and deliver 50 points. I'm not a huge fan of that method because as you pointed out, people could be going on leave, could be people could be going on training courses. And what I've found is when we've just gone on, well, what we've delivered last sprint is our rule of thumb for this sprint. What I found is, is that our the expectations that we're giving to the product owner, they're not realistic. Because if you've got half your team off on a training course, then there's no way you're going to deliver what you delivered last sprint. So capacity planning is very important. And as you pointed out there, if people are away or if people are coming back, then we have capacity to take on more or take on less. And the sprint backlog reflects that. The sprint backlog should be realistic uh, about what we think we can achieve in the next two weeks. We don't want to underachieve and we don't want to overachieve either. We want to get as close as possible to what we promise. Which brings me to another question, Neil. What is included in the sprint backlog? Is it just user stories or is there more to it? I, I like to fill my product backlog with all sorts of product backlog items. User stories is, is a classic one. Most of the items are going to be user stories. Those are the ones created by the product owner. They represent the requirements of the users. So probably three quarters of, of the items in there are user stories. But there's a couple of other things that we have as well, other types of items. So epics, and epics really, really is a type of user story. We don't tend to work on them because they're too big to fit in a sprint, but they just represent an unrefined collection of user stories, and we're going to break it up into user stories later. So it's epic user stories and, and user stories. Then I have a couple of others. Chores, which represent bits of work that the team needs to do, which maybe don't create an awful lot of value for our Dynamics users, but uh, you know we need a new instance, so we need to mask all the data in the development instance or something like that. So that's a bit of work. Somebody's got to do it. Mm-hmm. It's going to take up our capacity. So we track that in our sprint backlog as well. We have spikes, which are a bit, a bit of research, maybe a question that we need to answer or design we need to come up with. What's the best way to handle a contact who can play multiple roles? Uh, one's a customer, one's a supplier. How do we they- represent that relationship in dynamics? So we might have a spike. It's a workshop. It's, um, we're going to involve some people. We're going to maybe do some prototyping, come up with an options paper, and make a recommendation to the product owner. Mm. We're not going to we're not going to deliver that feature. We're just going to research it. So that's another type as well. I've also worked with teams, Neil, who once the the sprint backlog is done at sprint planning, that they add to it by adding tasks. And what they do there is they look at the user story, and then they break the user story down into multiple tasks of the pieces of work that they want to do to complete that user story. I've also worked with teams that decide not to do that because it's a lot more overhead. But tasks are also something that can be added to the sprint backlog. Have you worked with teams who've done that before? I did it reasonably successfully in my first ever Scrum project way back when. Uh, I can't remember how we did it. I remember tracking everything mostly on on a on a Kanban board, mm-hmm. um, but there the user stories all kind of stayed on the left hand side of the board, and we had five, six, maybe even ten, twelve tasks for each user story, and it was the tasks that moved across the Kanban columns. Uh, that gives you really good uh, burn down mm-hmm. tracking if you want to use that as a as a way of measuring progress during the course of the sprint. Again, it was a, a project in California. Which one was it? It was um, Advantage Sales and Marketing where what I found was that the same five tasks were repeated over and over for every different user story. Mm. It was analyze the requirements, design the solution, configure and customize it in mm. dynamics, test it, deploy it into the staging environment. And we just saw those same five tasks for each one. And that really wasn't much use at all. Um, so if you're going to use tasks, be specific. You know, it's going to, I'm going to create a logic app for that. That one needs a custom entity. That one's going to need a, you know, a custom app. 
those are pretty good because that gives you a good plan. It's, it lays out the design for each user story. But uh, quite often doing all of that and estimating it down to hours mm. and tracking all of that, the overhead really doesn't win you an awful lot of productivity yeah. in the end. The, the, the Scrum Guide says that as new work is required, the development team adds it to the sprint backlog. But my interpretation of that is new work is the task to complete the user story. It's not. It doesn't mean adding new user stories. And and to point out that only the development team can make those changes as well. So really the sprint backlog, it's it's a highly visible real-time picture of the work that the development team wants to do in the sprint, and it belongs solely to the development team. So if they want to add to the sprint backlog, they're adding uh, additions to the work to complete the user story that's already been accepted, as opposed to creating new user stories. I think that's a distinction yeah. we need to make between new work estimated user stories or product backlog items. Coming back to that idea of, of capacity and the different types of product backlog items, what do you do about bugs or defects? There was two trains of thought. One was that bugs get estimated and added to the product backlog. And another is that you could have a buffer to take care of bugs. My thoughts on it is that if you break it, you fix it. Also, bugs are sometimes covered by warranty in a project. So you may have a client who says, well, we're not paying for bugs. You've got to fix that yourself. And therefore, it shouldn't be estimated in the product backlog. I think it should be estimated in the product backlog because work has to be done and you want to know how much effort is going into it and what you can deliver. Also, I've seen teams use a buffer. If there's a lot of incidents coming in and, and a lot of bugs, they can use a buffer and say that, well, 20% of the sprint backlog is going to be done looking at bugs and looking at incidents. So it depends on the dynamic of your team, what works best for that team. My pref is if you're using a buffer, then you are estimating the capacity for it. Or if you're not using a buffer, then yes, do estimate the bugs. Any work that the dev team does, I think, needs to be captured. Uh, we need to be realistic about the amount of work we can get through in our sprints so that our velocity is accurate, so that for the upcoming sprints, we know how much we can take mm -hmm. on. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of debate out there in the community about how to handle bugs. Um, what are your thoughts, Neil? Have you? My viewpoint shifts mm -hmm. every time I consider this problem from project to project. I do quite like the idea of estimating defects because it's a reflection of how much work the team has done in the sprint so that when we're predicting our forecast in the future, mm -hmm. it's more accurate. However, if you use velocity as a way of measuring the team's productivity or business value, then that's a bad practice because you don't want to take credit for delivering value because yeah. you fixed a lot of bugs. Um, so you've got to, if you're doing that, if you're using velocity as a metric for business value, then subtract the, the story points that you estimated for those defects and keep that out of that calculation. However, I'm actually wondering if it's a better idea, and, and the Scrum Guide hints at this when it says items have business value and an estimate, as if those are two separate mm. numbers for each story. So if I was just you know, asking the product owner to, to estimate the business value, of each item separately from the development team who estimate the complexity of it, then um, obviously bugs would probably have zero business value um, because they should have been fixed. The they should never have occurred. But um, the team could track its work on those by estimating them and using that in future mm -hmm. velocity calculations. It, there's a lot of debate out there, Neil, on how to handle bugs. And I don't think that uh, discussion is going to go away anytime soon. So uh, maybe if Dermot, you can describe how your teams have tracked their um, sprint backlog. I mentioned a moment ago the Kanban board 
uh, that's not really part of Scrum. It's a you know, practice in Kanban that lots mm-hmm. of Scrum teams use. Are there other ways of tracking progress during a sprint that you've seen? What's worked successfully in terms of tools as well? Um, so a lot of teams use digital tools, so like TFS or Jira. I'm more of a fan of the visual board, which is where your user stories are put on post-it notes or cards. And then we have swim lanes and columns. Um, and as the, the user stories progressed from the to-do column into work, into testing, into completed, you move the user story across physically. The reason I prefer that over the digital way, say with Jira, is that studies have shown, and I've seen this in teams as well, that when they physically write something on a card and put it on a a wall and then get up one day and they move it across to the next column, they take more ownership of it. They feel, this is mine, this is my piece of work. And also every day when you walk by, you can see what we call the sprint board. And that's all the user stories that are in the sprint. That are, and you can see the status of them just at a glance. Whereas with a digital tool, you got to go to a browser, you got to log on to Jira, then you got to find your, your bookmark link to see where this sprint is. And looking at it digitally, as opposed to just glancing up in just two or three seconds on the visual management board, you can see straight away the state of the sprint. So I'm more of a fan of old school, writing it down with a pen and paper on cards and putting it on the wall. I know in a lot of organizations that doesn't work. So Jira works very well. I've used that more than TFS. And with the digital uh, boards, you can also pull out your reporting stats, your velocity and your metrics and your capacity and so on. So there's a lot of ways of doing it. I'm more old school, but what have you used in the past, Neil? And what's your favorite? TFS, Dermot, is the on-premise deployment for Visual Studio team services, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I'm a big fan of using the digital tool. I like that stuff in there for, for tracking, for especially for remote teams, reporting and things is much easier. Cross-referencing the item to maybe a, a wiki where we've got more details and wireframes and stuff in there is great. But I, I definitely agree with you that having a physical representation of that Kanban board in the room, uh, especially if you're co-located, is an absolute must. I wouldn't have a physically co-located team and not do that yeah. and just use a digital tool only. Even if it's on a big screen, everybody's standing around, you're absolutely right. It's it's not the same. Um, a, a little trick I learned from a project in Melbourne um, a couple of months ago, in the tool, they were using Visual Studio Team Services to track their work. On your user account, you could create a little profile and you had a, an avatar, you know, mm-hmm. you upload a little photograph or a cartoon. So when there's a, a list of stories and you own it, then your photograph appears next to that story. Well, they printed out uh, sheets of the, of those those little icons uh, onto sticker sheets, and on their physical board, which they also tracked in the hallway. Whenever you owned the story, you had your sticker of your avatar uh, on the story as well. Right. So it was the same uh, same smiling <laughs> Dermot face, whether it was uh, the physical representation or the digital representation of that item. That was, I thought that was really so cute. I've, I've seen that work quite well. What you've alluded to there, Neil, is that you have your TFS or your JIRA, which is your digital representation of the sprint, but use it in conjunction with the physical representation. But with, when you do it that way, it's important to point out that the digital representation is the source of truth and that the physical representation should mimic what's in JIRA or what's in TFS. The digital source needs to be maintained and kept up to date. Move a story card on the physical board, you need to go into JIRA and update it straight away. 
I think it's important if you're going to do that. It's, it's, there's always the chance that those things will fall out of sync. Yeah. It's not the scrum master's job to fix that. It's the scrum <laughs> master's job to highlight if that's an issue and help the team find a way to fix it, right? It sounds like you're speaking from experience there, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question, Neil. When is a sprint backlog complete or when is a sprint backlog item complete? It's pretty simple for me. I think um, a product backlog item is complete when it meets its own acceptance criteria. If it's a user story, it'll have acceptance criteria. When those are met, that item is probably finished. The other thing it has to do is meet our project's definition of done. Uh, those definition of done criteria apply to all user stories, and it'll include our standards for documentation, naming conventions for dynamics workflows and solutions and every custom attribute must have a description, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, those are our definition of done. When those two things are met, then I think that, that that item is ready for acceptance by the product owner. Hopefully that event happens at um, the sprint review or even before the sprint review. Mm -hmm. And once the sprint backlog items are complete, what happens with them then? What, what do we do next? I don't really mind what happens to them. <laughs> um, at that point, you know, at that point, to me, they're, they're done. Um, they're not really an artifact that we probably need to come keep. We might want traceability, so we, we don't delete anything from Visual Studio Team Services. But once the card is moved to the right-hand side of the board, it's done. Mm. Once once it's done, start the next sprint, clean board. Those things can all get chucked away. Maintain the traceability in, in your in your tool. It sounds like you, you, you don't quite agree, Dermot. Well, no, no, I totally agree. But um, to put another slant on that question, what about the sprint backlog items that are not done? So they may be half oh. complete or not started at all. What kind of scrum master are you? <laughs> Let's that happen in your, in your projects. Yeah, I, I, I really do hate to see backlog items not get finished. Uh, it's definitely something we need to address in the retrospective and drill into the root causes of that. And there's always... There's always a couple. There's always a good reason why. We just need to never repeat the same kind of silly mistakes that cause us to, to not finish our, our work. You know, we need good estimates of the work and good estimates of our velocity. Hmm. But if, if an item isn't complete, my point of view is it goes back on the backlog and we probably need to re-estimate it just before it gets reprioritized into the next sprint backlog. So if it doesn't get done in sprint one, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get done in sprint two. That's kind of up to the product owner to reprioritize it. They might take it off the top of the backlog and shove it in the middle. And it might be sprint for five or six before that thing sees the light of day again. I would then estimate it just before we start to work on it again to see if anything has changed. Mm. One of the things that I try to coach with all my scrum teams is that only start something in a sprint if you can finish it. If you don't think you can finish it, then park it and move on to something else that you think you can finish. Because you don't want to reach that situation at the last day of sprint. And out of 20 user stories in the sprint backlog, 19 of them are work in progress. You only finished one of them. That's that's an absolute disaster. Yeah. It's better just to start one and finish it before you move on to the next one, rather than have everything working at the same time and nothing finished at the end of the sprint. And and like you said, it, when they do roll over like that, the half-finished items, the product owner might decide, well, I don't want you to work on that anymore, or they might move it down to priority. So yes, they'll need to be re-refined, re-groomed, and um, re-estimated. Yep. Um, so Dermot, we've talked about finishing the sprint backlog. I think we're just about wrapped up for this episode of Scrum Dynamics right. as well. Uh, I think we, we've met all the acceptance criteria. We've met our definition of done. Let's close up our, our sprint and move on to the next one. Fantastic. Uh, great talking to Neil and thanks everyone for listening. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Dermot. 
our mission is to have every Microsoft Dynamics 365 project succeed using Scrum. If you'd like to learn more about Scrum and become a certified professional Scrum Master, visit crm.audio slash Scrum Dynamics to get discounted access to the introduction to Scrum from Microsoft Dynamics 365 course. The course features videos, worksheets, quizzes, and a practice assessment for the Professional Scrum Master Certification Exam. It covers the theory of Scrum, its events, roles, and deliverables, as well as lessons learned through Scrum for Dynamics CRM case study projects. CRM Audio podcast listeners can get discounted access by visiting crm.audio slash scrumdynamics.